Am I not there? There I am. I'm going to have you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. But I want to begin with an exhortation to you. What is Tuesday, church? Election day. And like, uh uh-oh, here he goes. (laughs) Thursday night I had the uh, privilege of sitting at what I just can honestly say was the best heartbeats of Licking County Banquet I have ever been at. And it was so helpful to me to sit there and listen to a few things. I don't know if you realize this, but in Ohio, it is still legal to have an abortion up till 20 weeks of your pregnancy. Do you, are you aware of that? Even though Roe v. Wade failed in Ohio, it's still legal to do that. Because a judge in Hamilton County, imagine that, put a stay on the order, the heartbeat bill. Why do I bring that up? Because Tuesday, we have an opportunity in our state to vote for Supreme Court justices. And if you do your research, I'm not going to do it for you. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. If you do your research, you will find that there are Supreme Court justice candidates who uphold life, who will take this poor decision made by that judge in Hamilton County, and they will turn it on its head. And we need that. We need that. Not only that... And I'm not going to tell you, you're going to do the research. The highest elected official of a certain party in our country has stated if you get him the right senators and representatives, he will codify Roe versus Wade. Is that something that our country should do, church? Then you need to do your research and know who to vote for. It's a stewardship, church. It's a matter of stewardship. While we are still a free country, while we're still a republic, while we still have these opportunities, if we do not exercise them when we have no right to complain about what's happening in government. And so let me encourage you, between now and Tuesday, do the hard work, use the Google machine, use whatever you need to do, find out where candidates stand. And I know sometimes voting for certain candidates that uphold life goes exactly against how we want to vote for our wallets. I get that. What's more important, the value of life or the value that's in your wallet? Life. Okay, consider yourself exhorted. God's Word, the Bible, has been written for us. It's been written to reveal God Himself to us. It's revealing who He is. It's revealing how He acts. It's revealing His plan for all mankind. And He reveals to us many wonderful other truths in His Word. Whether or not you realize it or accept it or or approve of it, God is the author from Genesis all the way till the end of Revelation. This is His book. This is His Word. One of the things we know about God is because we see it in his word is, is that he's immutable or that he does not change. Not only is he all-powerful, all-knowing, but he's immutable and he doesn't change. And that's really important. The same God in eternity past is the same God in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. He's the same God in our New Testament, even at the end of Revelation, and he's going to be the same God in eternity future. He's the same God. He does not change. That's important. You say, PD, why are you bringing that up? Well, because the way God reveals himself to us and the way he reveals certain things to us is really important. 
I don't know about you, but I was raised in a church and in a setting, and most of my life I had this wrong concept that Old Testament is stuff that's really important to know, but it's not nearly as important as New Testament. Anybody else raised that way? Old Testament good, but New Testament better. Well, I want to tell you, without the Old Testament, the New Testament makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. Beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we see this all-powerful, sovereign God doing whatever He's going to do. Did anybody compel God to create? No. God, just in a sovereign way, He creates, He does what He pleases, and it does, He does things that we don't necessarily understand. How many of you would agree with me, I don't always understand why God does what He does or even what He does? But he does what he's going to do, not so that we would understand, but he does it because he's going to accomplish his purposes. If you get nothing else this morning, get this. God will accomplish his purpose. One of the things in my upbringing that got skewed for me was, was that salvation was different in the Old Testament than it was in the New Testament. Anybody else get that kind of vein too? Like you're saved in the Old Testament by keeping the law and doing the sacrifices. I want to tell you, keeping the law and doing the sacrifices doesn't save anybody. Otherwise, we wouldn't need a new covenant, would we? I grew up thinking that Old Testament saints came to salvation differently than New Testament saints. I had to turn to Revelation chapter 11 because I, I, I want you to see that there, one, there's only one way. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, right? There's only one way, so there can't be an Old Testament way and a New Testament way, right? But I want you to see in Hebrews chapter 11, a quick survey here, that there's a very clear connection that we're going to explore in Genesis chapter 15 in just a minute. There's a very clear connection of faith and righteousness, Hebrews chapter 11, we have the definition of faith in the first three verses. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things that are, that are visible, out of things that are visible, was not made, excuse me, out of things that are visible. Then, verse 4, by faith. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as what? What does your Bible say, church? As righteous. Abel acted in faith, and he was commended as righteous, okay? Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. That's a phrase that could be equated with being righteous. Here we have two men, the first two men that are mentioned here, and they both are mentioned that, that there's a connection of faith and righteousness. Look at verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by what? Faith. Back up to verse 6, though, because in talking about Enoch, God makes this statement to us, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
Now, if you're thinking holistically about your Bible, there's a problem with this verse that in, that in our human mind should create a little bit of tension for us. If you're thinking with me, Romans 3 says what about how many people seek after God? How many people seek after God according to Romans 3? None of us seek after God. Is God's word true? But here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that we have to draw near to God and believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We've got a big problem here. He's going to reward those who seek Him, but Romans 3 tells me no one seeks after God. What's the, what's the missing link here? Well, the missing link is faith, is it not? The missing link is faith. And, and let's just understand something here. That faith is not just the kind of faith that you and I have to sit in a chair this morning. It's not the kind of faith that we have when we're standing on the edge of the swimming pool and, and we're going to jump in. It's not the kind of faith that we have when we walk across a rope bridge down in Gatlinburg or somewhere. That's crazy faith, by the way. It's something far greater. It's something far greater. It's divine faith. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We could continue on in Hebrews chapter 11, where, where even Abram is mentioned here. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive his inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. And, and it continues on here, all these faith actions that Abram has. But I want us to go back this morning to Genesis chapter 15. This is where we're going to camp out. And, and this passage of scripture right here is so profound. I know all of Scripture is important. Don't get me wrong. I believe that. But this passage of Scripture is so profound that Paul quotes it at least four times, and James writes in his, in his little epistle and quotes it one time. This is a profound passage of Scripture. And it, and it totally brings together and clearly illustrates the connection between faith and righteousness. And make no mistake here this morning, unless you have the right kind of faith, you're not going to have the right kind of righteousness. Unless you have a divinely imparted faith, you're not going to be able to produce righteousness that pleases God. And that's what Abram, in, in his account here in Genesis 15, details for us. So, Genesis chapter 15, we're just going to read the first six verses this morning. After these things, this is after, this is after Abram rescues Lot and all that stuff that goes down with that. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. If you ever mark a verse in your Bible, mark this next verse. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Let's pray this morning. What a glorious thing it is, Father that you would grant dead men faith so that dead men might be able to be counted as righteous in your sight. 
That's my testimony. I know it's many others' testimony in this room this morning that, that we were once dead, but now we're alive. And it was nothing that we did, but it was all what you did to bring us to yourself. May, I, may Lord, I pray that we see these truths really clearly and be changed by them today in your word, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see, first of all, God's promise and protection. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever noticed, how, first of all, let me ask you a question to get you going here. How many of you have experienced spiritual victory in your life at times? Like you had the best week of devotions, like you were able to witness to somebody, like you were able to take a stand on something. How many of you have had spiritual victory in your life? Have you ever noticed on the heels of spiritual victory when you're riding high, what seems to always be right around the corner? Go down the valley. How many of you have ever dealt with doubt right after victory? And you're like, how can this be? I just had the, the greatest thing that's ever happened in my Christian life. Or, and, and, and yet, this is where we find Abram and where we find ourselves many times. What I find is this. Things are going along and my spiritual life is going great. And, and I'm in the Word, I'm growing, I'm just loving my prayer time, I'm, I'm even praying for people that, that I don't even like sometimes. And, and then, this is what happens. Inexplicably, doubt and fear creep in. Doubt and fear creep in. And this is what's happened to Abram here. And it might seem out of place that after this great victory, that God comes to Abram, and in verse 1, he says, fear not. Okay, if you, just, if you have just commanded your forces and, and the forces of your friends to destroy the greatest coalition of kings on the earth at that time, how many of you are really thinking you're going to be afraid? I wouldn't be afraid, right? Yet God comes to him and says, fear not. Remember, God is all-knowing. Does God know Abram's heart? Abram's got fear and doubt in his heart. And, and God is loving enough, he is gracious enough, and he is kind enough to go to Abram in his fear and tell him, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay. Don't fear. Don't fear. And here's why. Because I'm your shield, and your reward is going to be very great. What, what God is saying there is, I am the one who is going to protect you. Just like I protected you in battle, I'm going to continue to protect you, Abram. I'm going to be the one who is your reward. On the heels of him turning down this great reward, God says, here's, here's what I'm going to do for you, Abram. I'm going to be your reward. I'm all you need. That's basically what God is saying here. And isn't that what God says to us today? I'm all you need. We tend to think this way. Yes, God, you're all I need, but a house is nice, a car is nice, and a nice 401k will work too, right? Right? Either God is really all we need or He isn't, correct? And He says, I'm all you need. I'm going to be your protector, and I'm going to be your reward. And basically what He's saying is, trust me, Abram, I'm going to take care of you. And what we have then in verse 2 are the first words that the Bible records of Abram addressing God. Up till now, it's been God addressing Abram in these situations. And now Abram, 
addresses God. And, and he begins out really well, O Lord God. He, he emphasizes this, you're, you're the master, you're in charge here and I'm not. I realize that, okay? That's a good, good posture to be in as he begin, begins here. But then he just pours out his heart here. And he says this, what will you give me? For, for I still continue childless, and the heir in my house is Eliezer of Damascus. <clears throat> he says this, basically, let me give you the Scarberry paraphrase. Reward is great, your protection is great, but what good is reward if I have to give all the reward you're going to give me to this guy, Eliezer? What good is this reward if I have to hand it off to Eliezer? Look yourself in the heart right now. Don't, don't play church with me here this morning. Please do not play church with me. But look yourself in the heart this morning and be honest with yourself. Have you ever complained to God before? I think if you're alive, you've complained to God. Right? And, and, and what Abram's doing here is, is he is just revealing what God already knew, the doubt in his heart. He, he didn't believe the promise that he had been given. He doubted, and he was ready to use a worldly practice that was a common practice at that time. If you didn't have a physical heir, then you could give it to, to this guy that you had selected. You could give it to your household manager. That's what this Eleazar was. Now, if God parented like you and I parent, that might, this might have pre been the preceding of a big spanking that Abram was about to get, Right? Right? How dare you? How dare you doubt me, Abram? But I want you to see the kind heart of our God. I, I want you to see the kind heart of our God. Here Abram is on the heels of a great victory, and doubt creeps into his heart. And, and you might expect God to be like, come on, kid, straighten up here. Did I not just give you victory in battle here? Have I not been with you every step of this? And now you're going to doubt me about this whole thing about being a great nation? I want you to see the gracious tenderness of God here in verses 4 and 5. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man's not going to be your heir. And he gives him new information. I love it when God, when God brings new information in the Word. I, I love it when He brings this here. Your very own son will be your heir. This is new information to Abram. Now, Abram has been told in chapter 12 and verse 2 that he was going to be a great nation. That was the promise that he got way back in Ur. In chapter 12 and verse 7, he was told he would have offspring, right? Now, offspring could be boy or girl, right? He's told you're going to have offspring. Then in chapter 13, he said it's stated again in verses 14 through 16, you're going to have some offspring, Abram. But now God makes an explicit promise to him. He graciously reveals to him, you're going to have a son. Sons are really important in this culture. They're very important because you can't hand down wealth to a girl like you can to a boy in this culture. And, and the way that he words it is, our English says, your very own. Basically, he said, he is going to be, okay, here comes a line that you're going to be like, oh, that's cringy, but this is literally what it means. He's going to be the fruit of your loins, Abram. And every guy in the room is like, yeah. 
And as a reminder, he says in verse 5, just go outside and look up. Go outside and look up. Take a look at the sky. Take a look at the night sky out here in the desert, Abram. If you can count the stars, then you'll be able to count how many offspring you're going to have. So that's what leads up to verse 6. And then Moses records this little phrase. It's not even Abram's words, but Moses records almost like commentary for us in verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The Hebrew there, the way it's structured is, it's he believed, and he continued to believe. He's still believing. What's interesting is that the the word that we get for amen in the scriptures is very close to this word here, and believed. Basically what Abram says, I believe it to be so. I believe it to be so. It shall be so. And I have to ask myself at this point, why here, why now? Why at this juncture? Hadn't God done some amazing things for Abram? He had rescued him out of Egypt, had he not? Think already in just our short time in the book of Genesis, the amazing things that God has done. What brings Abram to this point at this time to rest in the promises of God? We might be tempted to say this, maybe he truly really believed, maybe he manufactured enough faith to really believe God at this point. But if it was of his own will that he manufactured enough faith, would that be enough to produce righteousness? Let me ask you that again. If it was of Abram's own will that he could manufacture enough faith to believe God, Would that produce righteousness? Well, later on, the prophet Isaiah is going to write this in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. All of our righteousness, all the righteousness that you and I can produce, it amounts to what? Do you remember what he says it amounts to? Filthy rags. Filthy rags. So if what Abram is doing here in verse 6 is just trying to, okay, I'm going to really believe in you, God. I'm really going to believe. I'm really going to believe. I'm really going to believe. I, I, I. If it's up to him to do it, guess what? That's not enough to produce righteousness. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we have these verses. No one calls on the name of the Lord. No one does good, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. So how can it be that Abram here in verse 6 believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness? I would submit to you it's this. If Abram's faith was was his own achievement or an act of his will, then it would have been found lacking. This faith was imparted to him by God. It's the same faith that was imparted to you if you're a believer today. We use terms, and we talk about it a lot of times, and we get a little sloppy with this, talking about, well, I believed, or, or I went forward, and I confessed my sin, and we put all the emphasis on ourselves. Whose salvation is it? Is it our salvation or God's salvation? Salvation is of the what? God gives salvation, does he not? I want you to stop and let that soak in for a second, because I want you to see what God does here. God graciously, lovingly, mercifully grants Abram the faith to believe. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that an utterly beautiful thing? 
that he would do that. That same God did that for me as a young boy. And he did that for many of you here in this room. And I want to tell you, he is still granting faith for people to believe in him today. If you write in the margins of your Bible, there's a word I want you to write in your Bible here or in your notes. And I want you to write this word. It's a, it's a, it's a theological term, but it's a really good one. What we have here is, is really the first clearest case in the scripture of justification by faith. This is justification by faith. And that's an important, that's an important, important, important doctrine. Let me help you to understand what justification is. Justification is the act where God declares the sinner to be righteous. Let me say that again. It's, it's the act, it's, it's, a, it's a term that we use where God declares the sinner to be righteous. Now, I don't know about you, God declared me to be righteous when I was seven year old, years old, and I want to tell you, I have not acted righteously since then. Anybody in the same boat with me? But God declared me to be righteous. He, he clearly said, Scarberry, you're righteous. How can this happen? Because I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. Abraham wasn't righteous. We're going to find out here in, in a few short chapters, Abram is still, he's still a weasel. He's not perfect from this point on. How can that happen? Well, it's not because I'm righteous, but it's because Christ is righteous. It's because Jesus is righteous. And Christ's righteousness is another important word here. I'm giving you important words this morning, lots of doctrine this morning. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. It, that means that it is put on our account. Years ago, you could go into a store, and you could, you could go in. How many of you remember the old Schottenstein store in Columbus? Best store ever. You could go in there and just like go crazy and fill your cart and realize, I got $600 worth of stuff here, which would have been a lot in those days because I'm really old. And you realize you only have $400 in your wallet. That was before gas prices were so high. It was capable, you were capable of having $400 in your wallet. And what you could do was you could take it to the layaway department. I remember the layaway department. You could have it and they would save it for you and then you had to go show up and you had to pay on it and pay on it and pay on it. And magically when you had paid enough, what happened? You came out and you got your stuff. Here's the thing, you and I could not put salvation on layaway because there's nothing we could pay. There, we couldn't pay enough. And yet we go through life thinking Many of us, well, I got salvation on layaway. I'm just paying, I'm paying a little bit here, a little bit there. I'm doing a good deed here. I'm doing a good deed there. I showed up for church this week. I even put money in the offering plate. Um, I don't even understand what communion was, but I took it. It's got to be good for me, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm just paying ahead on my layaway. Here's the thing. You and I can never pay enough on our layaway. Jesus came in and paid it all for us. But we got to take it by faith, don't we? we got to take it by faith. And so Christ becomes our righteousness. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 4 where Paul talks about this. Romans chapter 4. 
I don't think we'd be doing this passage justice if we didn't see how it gets quoted in the New Testament. Paul, Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 4, and I know we're kind of parachuting in in Romans 4, and we're leaving behind some really good stuff in 1 through 3. Trust me, it's really good, okay? But Romans 4, verse 1, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, or in other words, if Abraham, was, if Abraham was able to produce enough faith in and of himself, if he was justified by his works, he has something to boast about. Think about it. Stop with me. Think about it. You're a human being. You can relate to this. If you do something good, you want people to see it, right? Right? God declared me righteous, and here's why, because I had enough faith. Maybe one day you can be like me. Come to my seminar. Right? Watch my TED Talk. And you too can be like me. No. No. Here's what Paul says. If Abraham was justified by works, verse 2, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Does that call into mind Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace you're saved through faith, and this is not yourself. It's God's doing it's what? It's a gift, right? It's a gift. For what does the Scripture say? Verse 3, Abraham believed God. He's quoting it, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Here's what he's saying here. If Abraham had worked for his salvation, then all he was getting was his wages. He's not getting a gift. And what God clearly says in his word is, I'm giving you a gift. You say, what's the gift? Well, I would say to you, and the more I read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the more I believe not only is the salvation the gift, but the faith is the gift as well. His grace and the, and the faith are both the gift of God. You study the structure of that, of that language there in the Greek, and it's pretty clear. Paul doesn't stop here. He keeps going. And, and this is really important to us. Go down with me to verse 9. How many of you in this room are a Gentile? Okay, clue. If you don't have any Jewish in your background and your ethnic heritage, you're a Gentile. How many of you are Gentiles? Good answer, class. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? Paul here is writing to Roman church, the Roman church, and it's full of Jews and Gentiles. And there were Jews in there who were saying this, Father Abraham had many sons and they're all Jewish. And Paul's like, not so fast. Not so fast. So he says, is it only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, quoting that verse again, Genesis 15, 6. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? You have been with me through the, the study of Genesis. Has Abraham been circumcised yet, church? No. So you tell me, is salvation just for the Jew or is it for all the world? All the world not just for the circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith when he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Do you know what? In Sunday school, when you learn the song, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them. Guess what? You are if you're by faith in Christ. 
Why? Look at the end of verse 11. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. In other words, people in the Old Testament got saved the same way people in the New Testament do. None of us are righteous. None of us are good enough. None of us are worthy. God has to do something. And fortunately for us, he's intervened. Go down to the end of the chapter, verse 22. He quotes it a third time. I wish I had so much time here to to unpack all of chapter 4. It's an amazing chapter. But Paul, a third time now in this chapter, says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. And every one of us ought to say, praise God. It was counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our, and there's that word we talked about, justification being declared righteous. Faith precedes justification. You can't be justified without faith. And here's the, here's the thing. You can't produce enough faith, so God gave you the faith. Praise His name. Praise His name. I want to show you one other verse where Paul quotes this. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 6, here's the quotation. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Again, those of faith, those to whom God has imparted this faith to believe. You are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Do you understand that in this promise that God is giving to Abraham, this is a gospel promise? Paul is telling us it was the gospel being proclaimed. I thought we couldn't proclaim the gospel till after Jesus died. No, it was being proclaimed prior to his death. When God told him that all the nations of the earth would be blessed in him, he was boldly declaring the gospel. There's a promised salvation coming, Abraham. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I want to be clear in this because I want to make sure that God gets all the glory here. How many of you get tired of hearing testimonies where the people giving the testimonies get all the glory? I was this, I was that, I did this, I did that, and one day I just turned it all around. Bunk. The only thing you and I contributed to our salvation was our horrible sinful nature and our willful disobedience and rebellion against God. It's the only thing we contributed to our salvation. And we do it really well, don't we, church? God did it all then. You say, but, but I had to believe. Yes, you wouldn't have believed if he hadn't given you the faith. He had to do it because we couldn't do it ourselves. 
And, 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 and I know this may be troubling for some of you, but, but look at it from God's point of view. He did it in such a way that who gets all the credit? He does. And doesn't he deserve the credit? Do you and I deserve one bit of credit for our salvation, church? Do we? No, not one bit. If we do, then it's a cheap salvation. And a cheap salvation isn't going to hold up for eternity. God gave Abram the promise. He gave him the faith and the righteousness. Abram brought the doubt, didn't he? He brought the doubt to the party. He didn't contribute to his salvation. So God gets all the glory here. There's only one way to peace with God. There's only one way to peace with God. And it's not working harder or trying harder. No one likes a try hard anyway, right? Do you like a try hard on your job, the one who's trying to show you up and everything? Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to peace with God, and that's to be justified by faith. I'm just going to ask you this question, two questions for you this morning as we wrap up. Have you received His salvation? Have you received His salvation? I, I said it in the beginning of my message, and I mean it. From, from eternity past to, to eternity future, God is the same. And his salvation has always been the same. It's always the same. It's salvation by faith in Christ alone. And that's how he imparts righteousness. Have you received it? Are you trusting in his righteousness and his righteousness alone? Because if you're trying to mix in your righteousness, it's not a valid salvation. It's a cheap substitute. Have you received his salvation? Question number two. And I'm going to assume that most of you in your room have received his salvation. By the way, isn't that a glorious thing to have received his salvation? Why do you look so glum? It's like you didn't get an extra hour of sleep last night. Some of you are like, I know it's an hour behind. It's nap time right now, PD. It's coming. It's coming. Unless you're going to the shower, then you're going to have to delay your nap time. Here's the second question. If you've received this faith and this salvation, are you today walking by faith? Because here's what we do. Here's what we do. And we're going to find out that Abram does the same thing. We're, all, we're, we're, we're in the boat with Father Abraham on this. We forget to walk by faith and we try to walk by sight. And does that ever work for us? No, it just screws up life really bad, doesn't it? The same faith that God gave to us for salvation is the faith by which we live. It's the faith by which we live. If I can trust Him with my salvation, can I trust Him with the day-to-day -day matters of life, church? Can I? Should I? <laughs> Do I? Those are all different questions, aren't they? And they all have different answers, don't they? I hope you leave here with a profound appreciation for who your God is. 
He's the God that would love you enough, even in your doubt, in your unbelief, to come and shatter that with his faith that he gives to you. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That he would love any of us who are not worthy. Father, we thank you for so great a salvation. And all we can say is glory to God alone. You truly are the author and the finisher of our faith. And I pray that we would live by faith in response to how much you have given to us. May we be people who are marked by our faith, our dependence upon you and on you alone. May we truly see you as as our protector and as our great reward. There is no reward greater than to have you. And we thank you for being our protector and our reward, just like you were for Abram. In Jesus' name, amen.